intention of all that we do as we think about that star that shined on that special night, as we think about Christ's birth. This morning, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 as we continue. If you weren't here last week, we began looking at uh, what we're calling Advent. It's not something that we invented. It's not something new, um, maybe new to some of us as Baptists. It's not as often celebrated in Baptist churches. But the word Advent simply means uh, the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. So we celebrate it at Christmas because obviously the arrival of Jesus is the most notable arrival of any person ever. And his arrival is the most uh, notable event. Uh, this his arrival that led to his death, his life being the most notable thing that we have in all of human history, that God left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. So we celebrate Advent. We talk about at Christmas time, and sometimes people say, Brother Zach, won't you just say Christmas instead of Advent? Why do you have to use... Well, it's, there's a the reason behind it, because when we say Advent, we specifically remember that Christ has already come once, but that he's coming again. And so this morning you'll hear me talk about the first advent, that was Jesus' birth. But whenever I talk about the second advent, that's when Christ returns to receive all of us that are his, but also to bring judgment on all those that are not. So last week we looked at an advent text, and, and to sum it up, and I know it, I always hate to do this because whenever I sum it up in just like a minute, some of y'all say, why didn't you do that last week? Why didn't you just preach in about a minute last week and cut us loose? But the disciples had asked Jesus, Tell us some signs that when we see, we'll know it's time that you're about to come for the second time. And Jesus told them point blank, That's not going to happen. You don't know when I'm coming. I don't know when I'm coming. You won't know when I'm coming. It will catch you as off guard as the flood caught all of the lost people in Noah's day. There will be some of you that are working next to someone else, and all of a sudden that person will be gone, and one, one will be gone, and one will be here. He says that's what it's going to be like. You're not going to know. It will catch you off guard. It will catch you by surprise. And his whole point was, so you better always be ready. Right? If you don't know when I'm coming, always be ready. So this morning we're picking up in the very next verse in Matthew 24. Uh, we want to see, last week Jesus told us, be ready all the time. But we didn't really spend much time talking about what it looks like to be ready. So we're going to see another parable this morning where Jesus tells us what being ready, what being prepared for his second coming, for the second advent, what that looks like. So Matthew chapter 24, I'll begin reading for us in verse 45. Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now, what we see here is a parable. It's technically two small parables. Jesus is using that idea of contrast again, but we'll see the second one in a minute. But here's what he gives us. He gives us two examples, a good example and a bad example. The idea is this. There's a master who has uh, a lot of things, and he has servants, and he has family, and he has a household. But the master has to go away for a while. For whatever reason, he's going away for business or whatever. And so he tells who would be kind of the highest servant, you're in charge of the household. So we see Jesus is saying here, you are 
going to be my steward. This does not belong to you. The house is not yours. The people are not yours. They're still mine. But while I'm gone, I need you to be in charge of them. I need you to make sure everybody has food when they need food. I need you to take care of the things that I need you to take care of while I'm gone. And so as we see this example, Jesus is going to give us two servants, two specifically opposite servants. One who does this very well, which we read about here, and in just a few minutes we'll read about one who does not do this well. Now, when we're reading this parable, it does not really work well unless we keep in mind what question Jesus is answering with this parable. Jesus, again, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, at the beginning of this chapter, the disciples asked, they wanted to know the time of the destruction of the temple, which Jesus has already answered. And then they asked, and what he's specifically continuing to answer here is these questions, or this question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus, what will be your sign? Now, why does he go into a parable about a master who leaves a steward in charge of all his things while he's gone to answer the question, what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? And some, some scholars believe, uh, I wanted to give this to you as a possibility because as I look at the disciples and as I read their reasoning, I, I could see this as a very reasonable idea. They believe that the disciples are an, asking Jesus this question for this purpose. The disciples are saying, listen, I want to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing when you come back, Jesus. So will you tell me some signs so that I'll know I need to get to work? Now, I understand this idea because my brother, my older brother and I, uh, sometimes after we got a little bit older, my mom would leave and go, uh, go do whatever she needed to do in town, but she would tell us, right, some chores. When I get back, the trash better be taken out and you better have cleaned up your rooms. Right? When I get back, these things better be done. Well, thankfully, a lot of times, Will and I, we would do whatever we wanted the whole time. But we knew at 3 o'clock, Mom was going to be back. So about 2.30, what would we start doing? Oh, we've been busy working all day, doing everything. And so some people believe, and I can see this as a reasonable explanation. They believe that's what the disciples are asking. And some of us have that thought. Some of you have probably caught yourself before doing something good. Maybe you're on a mission trip or maybe you're helping your neighbor and you thought, man, if Jesus returned right now, it sure would look good. Or sometimes you've caught yourself in a position doing something and you thought, man, if Jesus returned right now, this would not be good. Now, whether that's exactly why they're asking or not, I don't know. But I do know this, that Jesus is telling them, you're not going to know. There's not going to be a 2.30 on the clock that tells you you better get ready for 3 o'clock, so you better be ready all the time. And he's answering here really specifically the question, what does it look like to be ready? What do Christians need? If we're going to live every day like it's our last day, then what do we need to be doing every day? So look back at the text with me. We want to be this first servant. I'll go ahead and give you that. We want to be the faithful and wise servant. That's who we want to be. So he says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So that's who we want to be right there. We want to be the servant 
that when Jesus returns, is found doing what Jesus has called us to do. Whether he returns this afternoon, or whether he returns 10 years, or whether he returns at any point, if he returns at any point during our life here on earth, we want to be doing what he's called us to do when he returns, right? I think we all understand that. We all agree with that. And so here, what does this parable tell us? What is it that would be doing what he wants us to do? Well, specifically here in the parable, the master gives the steward some specific instructions. He gives him a job. In this instance, it was to be over the household. It says that the master set him over the household to give them their food at the proper time. So that's his job. His job is to run the house as if he were the master. To make sure everybody has food when they have it, to make sure that the workers have the things, the tools that they need for that, to be in charge of the household. But this, remember, this is a parable, so we don't want to press that point too much. It's not specifically what we're called to do. The point here is the servant had a job that the master gave him. And when the master came back, the servant was doing the job that was given to him. So the question that we need to ask then is what job or what jobs has the master given us? Jesus was here and he left for a while and he's coming back. Just like in this parable, the master's there. He gives a job to the steward, and he leaves, and he's returning at an unexpected time. And this steward was found doing what the master told him. What is it that the master has told us to do? We're going to look at that in just a moment, but I want to give you the first point. It's in your bulletin if you don't want to write this down but want to remember it. Point one, we are called to certain tasks, and we should always be diligent in doing them. And I don't throw words around. You can ask Amanda. I'm very careful with words. And so when I use a word like always, I use that word intentionally. Because that's what Jesus says here. He says, listen, I've given you some tasks. When I return, you need to be doing those tasks. Well, Jesus, when are you going to return? You're not going to know. So you know what that means? We should always be doing the things that Christ has called us to do. Those should be the priority of our life. Every day we should do the things that Christ has called us to do. Because for too long, many Christians have had the false idea that this is what it means to be a Christian. I've been saved by Jesus, and now I need to make sure that I don't sin anymore. And then just live here, just kind of hunker down and live till Christ returns, making sure that I don't sin. That's all I'm supposed to do as a Christian. We've had that idea for way too long. The truth is, that's simply not biblical. Now, should we avoid sin? Yes. Don't say, Brother Zach said we're not supposed to be avoiding sin as Christians. That is part of what we're supposed to do. That's part of the command, the commands that Jesus gave us. But brothers and sisters, there's a lot more that Jesus gave us than just avoid sin and wait till I get back. If you continue reading, and we're not going to get there this year as we look at Advent, but if you read chapter 25, specifically in chapter 25, don't read it now. I see some of y'all do it. Don't read it now. Read it later. But specifically, if you read the parable of the talents, read that and see what happens to the person who, who took what was given to him and just hunkered down and didn't do anything with it. See how Jesus responds to him. Don't do it now. Read that later. But Jesus makes very clear in Matthew 24 and 25, brothers and sisters, we have work to do. We have tasks that our master has given us, and when he returns, we need to do those. And some of you say, Brother Zach, what are those tasks? 
I can't give them all to you this morning. If you come back every Sunday for the next 10 years, I won't give them all to you. But I'll give you a few of them. Let me ask you, do you have children? If you have children, then Deuteronomy 6-7 tells us this concerning the commandments and the law of God. It says, To teach them diligently to your children, and to talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. We are to train our children of any age to know the Word of God, to understand them, to be familiar with them, to talk about them. Do you have a wife? Ephesians 5.25 Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you have a neighbor? You all have neighbors. It's not just somebody that lives next door. Do you have anybody that you're around regularly? Any near ones that you spend time around? I think y'all know Matthew 22.39 You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Are you doing that? Do you do that every day? Not did you do that sometime in the past month because it was Thanksgiving. Do you every day intentionally love other people like yourself? Or do you love yourself more than everybody else around you? Is God your God? Is Jesus Christ your God? If so, then Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. All that you have, you're supposed to love God. Have you seen the power of Jesus Christ to take a, a dead, wretched, sinning, useless person and make them into a glorious son of God? I have because this happened in my life. As I mean, for every one of you that was a lost sinner at one point, that was you. We don't like to think of ourselves that way, but that was us. Dead, lost, rebellious, useless. But God has made us into people that get up voluntarily on a day off and go gather in a sanctuary to sing praises to Him, brothers and sisters. He has brought us here. He has changed. If you've seen that power, if you know the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, then Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Are you witnessing about Jesus? Are you telling people about the power of God to transform lost people, to save them from hell? Do you have the Word of God? Do you have a copy of the Word of God? If you don't, I will give you one. Let us know. I don't say that as a joke. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's your man. He's not sinning. But then it adds, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Do you read and study and meditate on the law of God? Brothers and sisters, these are the tasks. These and many more, all of the commands of Scripture, these are our tasks. When the Master was here, he says, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. These are the things that I expect of you. If you're going to be my child, if you're going to be a steward of my things, right? None of this is his. Your children are not yours. They belong to God. He has told you how to be a good steward of your children. Teach them his word. Your wife, your husband, they're not yours. They belong to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. And he said, this is how I expect you 
to be a good steward of your spouse, of your finances, of your time. Whatever it is, he's told us how we're supposed to handle those things. And when he comes back, he says, I expect, if you're going to be the wise and faithful servant, then I expect that when I return, and you don't know when that is, that you'll be doing these things. So I ask you this morning, have you done that? Are you daily doing the things that God has called us to? Are you following the tasks that Jesus has laid before us? And if you do, I love this. Not just that he expects us to do it, but look back at the text. Verse 46, he returns. The master returns unexpectedly. The servant is doing what he's supposed to. And it says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. I love that idea. Blessed is that servant. It's written like the Beatitudes. Those of you that are familiar with the Beatitudes, it's written in the same language in the same way. So, like we say, uh, blessed are those that are this. Many of you have memorized different Beatitudes. Here it is. Blessed. Blessed is the servant whom Jesus finds doing what he's supposed to when he comes. There's commendation from Jesus for those that are doing the things that Jesus has called us to. That becomes more clear if you turn over one page in Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to preach through the talents this morning, but look at verses 20 and 21 of Matthew 25. It says, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And then verse 21. We think about this often. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's commendation. When Christ returns and finds us doing the things that he has called us to do, there's that idea of hearing him say to a wretched, useless Sinner, transformed only by his blood and his righteousness, that he would look me in the eyes and say, Zach, you've done well. Zach, good job. I'm pleased with this. I'm pleased with you. He's only pleased with me because of Christ, but he will tell me, Well done, because of the things that I'm doing when he returns. Brothers and sisters, that's enough for me. But this makes it clear that there's more than that. There's not just commendation. There's not just well done. There's reward. There's reward for doing it. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. And we could spend a whole lot of time looking at what this means. But whether or not we know exactly what setting over all his possessions means, I can tell you this, if you're a, a steward and a servant and you get set over more possessions... That is a promotion. That is a reward. And so in some way, Christ will reward His children that have been doing His work when He returns. Brothers and sisters, there's commendation and there is reward for those of us that are doing what Christ has called us to when Christ comes back. Point two, if we are diligent at our tasks, there will be reward. Him saying well done is enough, but the Scriptures are clear that there's more. There's even more reward than that. Now, I don't want us to miss, I don't want us to forget that there is another servant here. Don't worry, we're not going to spend as long on the second servant as we did on the first one. It's because we want to be the first one. But I do want you to see the second one. Look with me in verse 48. 
But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What do the kids say? That escalated quickly. You know, that's not what I expected when I read this parable. When the master returns and the servant's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, he cuts him into pieces. Wow. But brothers and sisters, I think Christ is just being extremely clear here what will happen to people that do not belong to him when he returns. He doesn't want there to be... He wants it to be clear, and I will be clear. I do believe fully that this person, this second servant, is not a Christian, is not a, is not a saved person, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, is not somebody that is saved by, uh, by grace through faith, who's just not doing what he's supposed to. I believe this is a picture of a person that is lost, and we're going to talk about that Wednesday night. Wednesday night... I'm going to show you in the scripture why I believe that, help you see how to interpret something of that nature. Why do we believe that this is a lost person and not a Christian who's just not doing what he's supposed to be doing? And there are a lot of things, the language, the, the, the names that Jesus calls this man, the actions of this servant, the punishment of this servant, I think, make very clear. But it tells us this, that there are people, y'all have met these people. Lord forbid some of you might be this person. And we say, listen, I know that Jesus says he's coming back. And I know that I'm going to die one day. And so I'm going to get things right with Jesus before I die. But I'm going to do that when I get older. Right now, I'm going to live for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Isn't that what the servant here does? He says, the master's delayed. He ain't back. Nobody knows when he's coming back. I'm going to do what I want to do. And Jesus says that that was, seems to have been fine for this guy until the master returned. And brothers and sisters, those of you that think, when I get older, when I need to, I'm going to make things right with the Lord. I just want you to remember that what Jesus said last week is, you don't know that you've got tomorrow. You don't know that you've got this afternoon. We've got a luncheon planned today so that we can spend time talking to Corey and Lindsay about mission work. I don't know that we'll get there. Some of y'all think, I don't know that I'll get to lunch either. <laughs> Would you sit down? My brothers and sisters, I want you to see this. If you are delaying coming to faith in Jesus Christ, if His Holy Spirit has spoken to you and has called you, if you know that He died on the cross, you know that He is God, and you know that He lived a perfect life, and you know that He died on the cross so that there could be atonement for sins, but you are unwilling to come to Him. You are unwilling to give Him lordship of your life. And that's, in, that's the place that you are when He returns, that this is what's going to happen. You are going to go to a place of eternal torment. The place that the hypocrites go, the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and we call it hell. And you'll be there forever and ever. There's not going to be any well done. There's not going to be any second chance. Here we have two groups of people. There are people that have responded to Jesus Christ, have responded in faith to Jesus Christ, have given their life to Jesus Christ, and it's clear. You know what those people do in this setting? They all serve Him. There's no in-between. There, are there aren't saved people that don't follow Christ, that don't 
do what their master said. That's not, there's not a third person here. There are people that are saved, that are wise and faithful, and they do what Jesus has called them to do. And then there are people that don't do what Jesus has called them to do, and that's because they're lost and they don't belong to Him. And their life shows that He doesn't have lordship over them. Brothers and sisters, this morning you have to at least start there and contemplate, which am I? Am I the wise and faithful servant or am I the wicked servant? Have I given my life to Jesus Christ or am I still just living for me? Playing church, playing the game, got the preacher fooled, not hard to do. Maybe you got your friends and your family fooled. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says you're not going to fool him if he returns. And he is not Lord, then he will be judge. And you will be sorry. But if he returns, and you are his, then we need to be sure that we're doing the things that he's called us to. Don't just sit around waiting for him to get back. Go and do the things that he's called you to do. Know his word. Know his commandments. Share those. Teach those. Love people. Serve people. Witness for Him. Tell people about Him. Make disciples of all nations. These are things that He's called us to do. This is what our life should look like. And if He comes back tomorrow, then we should be doing it diligently. And if He doesn't come back for 30 years, we should all still be doing it diligently every single day. So this morning, I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to have a time of response. And some of you may be here, and you need to respond by responding not to this call or to me, but responding to the Holy Spirit who has made it clear that you are now guilty of your sins, but Christ has made a way that you could be free from them, that your debt could be paid, and you need to come and give your life to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that and you have questions about how to do that, I would love to walk you through that, to talk to you about that. But if you're here and you're a Christian, and you know that you're a Christian, and you know that you know that you're saved, but you also know that you have not been doing the tasks that Jesus has set before you, pray that you would repent of that during this time and that you would ask the Lord to set your heart on the things that he has said are important. But you do what you need to do as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation.